Hello and welcome to Quo Vadis Institute's Rethink, a podcast that will supply you with thought-provoking approaches to and reflections on some of the most challenging issues of our day. Sarah, um, welcome. It's so good to have you uh, are with us today. Uh, we're delighted. Uh. It's, I'm really pleased to join you today. Uh, I love um, chatting about work and, and caring for people. Um, yeah, Wonderful. Good. Great. So um, I just met Sarah a couple minutes ago when we uh, came online, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that many people listening uh, do not automatically know who Dr. Sarah Foote is. So could you um, give us a, a brief introduction um, and, what is, uh, and then perhaps a short explanation of what your main um, field of work is? Um, so I'm Sarah and uh, I am a doctor working in uh, the east of England. And I work in an area of medicine called palliative medicine, um, which is uh, caring for people who have uh, life limiting illnesses. Mm. Um, Certainly palliative medicine can have a a lot of connotations around it, which I'm sure we can talk about later. Mm. Um, We've only recently moved. So I live with my husband, Dave, and uh, my son, Samuel. Mm. And uh, I've moved recently to the east of England for palliative medicine training to kind of continue my training. Um, So... Uh, in the UK, we we do specialist training in in our in our specialist field, mm-hmm. science palliative medicine. Um, so I'm a registrar working here, and uh, I'll be sort of I rotate around different workplaces, uh, getting a breadth of experience. So how did you? I lived with a, a, in the UK for a bit with a British surgeon, and she explained a little bit to me about how the, the the system works. I mean, you do your basic training. How do you get to the point that you are applying for a training number, and you're or you're you know you want a, a training position? Um, how do you get to the point of saying I want to be a palliative care physician? Because it's not something at least I haven't heard very often. Um, so what drew you to this particular um, field of medicine? Well, when I uh, became a doctor, so before medicine, I uh, had a, I did a physics degree and um, right. I uh, met lots of friends who uh, were training to be doctors um, who did volunteering. Uh, that I did volunteering with and I went into medicine because I wanted to be an A&E doctor because uh, mm. I thought it was really exciting, getting to meet lots of different people and helping fix them. And um, I would say that probably A&E and palliative are, are worlds apart. So Uh, Once I started as a medical student, uh, when I was in uh, placement in in general practice or family medicine, um, Mm -hmm. in my final year, they said, why don't you go to the hospice for the day? And I thought, what's a a hospice? And um, my my main memory of that day is realising that there was another way to do medicine. Um, and, And I remember being incredibly inspired by it. Uh, I, other than that, I can't really remember much about it, but that then led me to do a, like a special interest module in palliative medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I really realised that there was a more holistic way of um, caring for people. In uh, medical school, there's a lot of, uh, and, and as doctors, um, working out how to fix organ-specific problems. So if your kidneys aren't working, what you do, or if your heart's not working, what you do, mm-hmm. uh, if you've got a problem with your lungs. Um, and so that led me, as you say, I had to do um, sort of general placements. And I, I within those, I, I sort of did some taster weeks. And then in, in the UK, you do what's called internal medicine training. That's what it's called now. 
Uh, and that's where you have to do uh, medicine of the body. So things like cardiology, respiratory. Um, so I would say to people, mm. if you go to hospital as an adult um, and you have a problem that's not going to be fixed by surgeons, you'll probably be seeing a, um, an internal medicine doctor. Um, mm. And I did that and I still really wanted to do palliative medicine. And then so from there, you go on to your specialist training um and uh, i managed to get a what we call a training number uh in the east of england to mm. do that training wonderful so would you say that that kind of you mentioned this this more holistic approach to medicine do you see that be specific to palliative care generally or do you have a particular personal way in which you understand palliative care um which is not kind of standard or does it come with the nature of that specialism that that it is um of a different nature than for instance a pulmonologist or a cardiologist um so i think um i think a, a caveat is increasingly um certainly in the uk we realize that you can't just treat an individual organ um you mm. know someone who has a heart problem there's every chance they've got other problems however the focus of a cardiologist is on fixing the heart problem um mm -hmm. holistic care is very much at the root of palliative medicine um of treating people as a whole um i think it goes all the way back to the roots with cicely saunders who uh was a christian mm -hmm. i mean she trained as a nurse doctor and uh, social worker very incredible lady who mm -hmm. essentially founded the whole idea of palliative medicine of, a, of, a, of an an area of medicine where mm. our focus is on on looking after the person as they come to the end of their life mm. um so holistic care is something that's fundamental to palliative it's and it's not just palliative medicine i think um elderly care physicians would would say the same um because by the time you're caring for someone um who's quite elderly generally again they have multiple different problems mm. and that can be physical but also they've got complex factors like um uh needing support um because they're they're becoming more frail or having uh, often uh families have have spread around these days people's families can spread quite far away from them mm. so losing those support networks and becoming isolated um so not certainly um palliative care i think we probably do holistic care the best and the most mm -hmm. um but i'm glad to see it is that it is in other parts of medicine too great so um was it weird to come out of a training which, to my understanding, is primarily kind of, um, or as you say, maybe there is a shift in this, uh, but was it a big flex to come into palliative care and all of a sudden not only have to do uh, to deal with the kind of anatomy and the functioning of organs, but at the same time also having to fun or to care for people's psychological and, and spiritual needs and how do you do that um kind of in a in a practical way I know that's a very broad question but um I, would be I think I was lucky that my first job in palliative um was in a hospital-based post so I went from one day being uh, a general medical um SHO as it's called and then the mm. next being the palliative registrar but actually and in a different place but ultimately in, in an acute hospital so um what can feel quite jarring wasn't wasn't too bad um and also I guess I'd always been inclined that way so the way I would care for my patients even if I was doing a respiratory job for example was still mm -hmm. to recognize um their holistic care and um how that works in practice I think um 
it begins from when we meet patients by trying to find out what matters to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So people are complicated. um, And our, I think we have a real focus on taking a careful history, as we call it, from a patient. And that isn't just finding out about their one problem, because there's often multiple problems. So trying to work out which ones are the the biggest problems, because something might seem like a big problem to us, but actually the thing that's really getting them down is, is something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and, and then situating those, um, what might be physical health problems, but not always within their social context. So um, what, are their, where, what are their goals? Um, who's supporting them? Um, what how their mood sits with it um what family they've got around them um and then what carers are around um and then what what's an appropriate um solution for these for these issues what can we do to help because as two people might have the same physical problem but actually the solution could be completely different um for those two people and helping people navigate that make those um choices so medicine um is increasingly patient-centered in the uk where we help patients to make the right decisions for them and and i see my job as as helping them navigate those decisions rather than me thinking i know what's best for someone Mm -hmm. um i i have the experience of medicine but they know them the best and we need to come together to to work out what's right for them thank you is it is it difficult to because you know that when patients come to you, they they will die in your care, right? Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah. So um, something would be nice to say actually about palliative medicine is um, it's not just the last days of life. Um, sometimes it is. Sometimes um, um, referrals come from other teams quite late. Um, in other areas, the point where you get diagnosed with an illness, teams have got it set up so that actually as soon as you have met the specialist, so say like the lung specialist or the cancer specialist, you also get to meet the palliative team and they may travel that journey with you for some years. Um, And so, um, yes, I guess our patients will ultimately die. That's that's the nature of our care, but not necessarily in a few days. We could be talking quite long times down the line. Mm -hmm. So we could be talking years, for example. um, And that's that's something people struggle with with understanding um and uh i guess you don't go into palliative medicine if you see success as someone getting cured mm-hmm. um but you and so I, I, it's really um it sounds really cliche but it's really just rewarding helping people so uh, i think my goalposts are different so i'm not trying to get rid of whatever problem you have i'm trying to help you help things be better um so if you've got symptoms like pain or nausea can they be better managed um have you got goals like being able to walk the dog or being able to go on holiday can we make that happen uh and i as as someone working with people that's incredibly satisfying to to Mm. help people achieve those goals yeah, first of all, I'm really not precious about me not understanding uh, the, the the breadth of being a palliative care doctor uh, in its completion or in its complete breadth. So please feel free to correct me at any point when I'm um, being um, very unaware um, of the dynamics of it all. But um, do you would you say that most people who who would 
um, qualify or who receive a diagnosis in a hospital um, that would qualify them for palliative care get palliative care? Or is oh. are, are there many people who, who would qualify for that, but for some reason are not seen by a palliative care physician? Um, really good question. So um, firstly, on the broad scale, it, it, so no is the short answer. People don't all get palliative care. Um, uh, it varies by country. Um, and I have to say, my I know um, the UK is very good. Um, we have a very good history of it. But ha- even having um, specialists in palliative medicine um, is not common across different countries uh, even even within Europe, so not everyone not everyone has us as a, as a specialist. Um, the the word hospice can can mean very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to add, again, I don't know exactly what it means everywhere, but I know in the UK it means that um, you will have a life limiting illness. Um, lots of hospices will care for people in the last days of life, but also will have people come in. Uh, sometimes for rest because it can be very tiring for family members caring for someone who's got a lot of um, needs Um, and also for expert symptom control because um, when you've got lots of different difficult hard symptoms to live with like I said pain feeling sick seizures all sorts of things people can come into hospices to get that managed to then go out again to carry on um, living before before potentially returning for the end of life or choosing not to um then in terms of people getting access um uh, there's all sorts of barriers to access for care so palliative care really i think traditionally started with cancer care um so still the bulk of our workload is people who get cancer so if you get a cancer diagnosis in the uk um you are much more likely to get palliative care and when I spoke earlier about uh sometimes people are referred right when they get their first diagnosis um I've certainly got some lung cancer doctors who when you get some lung cancer diagnosis you will get referred straight away um for then what we call shared care during your cancer journey um so the oncologist will do their job but we will we will do ours alongside it doesn't have to be Mm. either or um again that's that's um a UK thing but then, so there's there's a diagnosis. So if you get, um, say, an organ failure diagnosis, for example, heart failure or, or kidney failure um, or like a chronic lung problem. Um, and, and it varies quite a lot um, around the country. But traditionally, those people have not been referred in early to us. Um, so sometimes we get to them only within the last days. Um, and then uh, people with uh, things like dementia also don't don't get referred so um if i look up like the makeup of hospices in the uk a lot more of them will have cancer um so people disproportionately with cancer die in hospices versus people who don't and that that can be in part because if you have cancer you may have more complex symptoms and you need to be in a hospice and being a hospice for example is not the only place to die and it's not the only place to access palliative care either so Mm. it might be appropriate that actually you don't have uh, difficult to manage physical symptoms but you need a lot of help and so being in a nursing home or being at home with with carers coming in is is much more appropriate um and then there are still more barriers to care so um in the uk the hospital cicely saunders was christian hospices were traditionally um uh, came out of um uh are all named with that lots of them have named with christian names so um 
I can think of some like uh, St. Luke's, St. Joseph's, St. Christopher's. Um, and that can really put people off who who um, sometimes have other faiths. Um, they just think it's it's not the place for them. And actually, mm-hmm. these days, uh, hospices are fairly secular, just like most of the UK healthcare. And um, the last thing people would want is for people not to come. But, but that is, is, is still the case. Um, and some ethnic minorities um, are just not getting access to hospices, um, people who are homeless. I feel like I'm just listing it on. And <laughs> and then I think of um, one of the things I like about host- hospital palliative care is um, you don't just deal with the people who've got cancer. Um, you will get to the, the certainly as a, as a trainee, I'd get to go to visit people on wards who are potentially in the last days of life. Um, and often it was last days rather than last months or years because of the nature of the referrals we get um but you'd reach a much wider group of people and help teams who don't really know how to navigate they, like the medical team who who were looking after someone how to navigate those last few days um how to change the focus on care um so and i, and I should say um people want palliative care to change they want it to be accessible to everyone they want um uh the people who need it the most to be say in the hospices um but people in hospitals to be getting the right care um a lot of that is around education for um other other sorts of doctors because everyone every doctor will look after someone dying um and one of our jobs as palliative doctors is to, is to help other doctors to do that so thank you so much so that that's fascinating um so you mentioned a, a couple minutes ago that, you know, if you're a palliative care doctor, um, you can't or it's not very handy if you kind of understand your own success or you, you've done you doing well um, is if your patient leaves healed because that is, you know, or kind of leaves care in that in that sense. Um, what do you internally feel and this is not a job interview but what do you feel internally as you know I've done well if my patient xyz you know what what is that kind of understanding of quote-unquote success or having done well um or when do you reach that point of you know satisfaction in your work um that you've done a good job with this particular patient is there something um, that helps you measure or, or understand that for yourself? Um, I think there's, uh, so I can give a really honest answer here that still as a doctor, I want to fix things. Um, and in the within the team, because palliative medicine is not just about doctors. Um, we work with nurses. Um, mm. We have uh, like social workers, counsellors, um, therapists, so like physiotherapists. We're all part of one big team. Um I should think still the doctors are on the side of I wish I wish I could give a pill to fix this. Um, it's very ingrained in our culture, um, and 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 by fix it, I think helping people achieve their goals. That's what when we first meet someone, it's it's finding out what it is, and and for some people that is to get their pain better. And uh, I can think of a gentleman I met recently who had horrendous pain. And he just wanted to be in less pain and it worked. And there is a really great feeling about saying goodbye to someone because you're not going to see them now for a few months because you've got their pain managed and they're leaving either the hospital or the hospice where you're working um, and they don't need your help for a while. Um, For others, it's uh, things like 
you know, they know that they've got um, a diagnosis that they're going to die from. They have some sense of time scale of, say, um, the order of months or, or maybe a year or two. Um, and I meet people who are just too unwell to do anything. And um, one particular patient I think of who um, actually had surgery and it wasn't surgery to, to save his life. It was surgery to um, uh, just to, to help with um, managing his symptoms. But also we then helped with that. Um, and I'd follow him up for a long time afterwards and he would tell me about all the holidays he'd been on with his family. And it was wonderful. It, there is, um, it's just great. It's great to hear from people being able to, um, to do that. And then, and then sometimes on the smaller scale, people who are, who are in the last week or two, but actually that day they felt well enough to go and sit out in like the dining room in the hospice and have lunch with their family in a really normal way because those those moments are really precious when you know they are you know you're going to be able to count them on one hand now um I I remember with my husband's granddad we didn't know it at the time but we took him out for his last coffee um he'd been in hospital and we were like why don't we just go downstairs to the coffee shop it was incredibly stressful for my husband and I because he hadn't been out of the room and we're like is this a mistake he's quite frail is it gonna be too tiring and actually he loved it and Mm. that was the last time he went out and we got to do that with him and that was a really precious moment so um it's it is it's recognizing what is important to people and helping them achieve that and we don't always we don't always sometimes uh, we meet people and the idea is we get their pain a bit better and then they can go on and do something um or they have quite big expectations and we just can't help them meet that and that is really disappointing uh, sometimes frustrating if we can't marry up you know when we can kind of we think something's unlikely you don't want to crush people's hopes but you also want to try and guide them into being mm. realistic Hmm. listening to your answers many of the positive stories that you tell or all of them were about uh, the the ability to connect with other people or to have that connection with family holidays coffee sit in the dining room have lunch it's all about those family or at least in those answers is it true that in in your experience um what people long for is is more connection more time with with family with friends is that one of the the biggest motivators i think that's got to be one of the the biggest things is um is spending time with your family um and sometimes it is family and not friends sometimes when you're getting really tired and unwell um I have to tell my patients to be a bit selfish because their friends want to spend time with them, but actually they're too tired. And, you know, if if you've been married for 50 years, then those last days with your husband or wife are probably the most important. And and I encourage people to sometimes say no when people want to visit them and and, and wish them well. Um, So, yeah, I do. I think connections is the big one. Um, And and for others, it's uh, I'm trying to think what goals people have, which, which aren't spending more time with a family spending and spending time um just doing normal life so going for a walk sitting in the garden um uh spending time with pets so uh lots of hospices will let you bring your pets in mm. uh and that's 
just trying to keep it a bit more normal. So I think some of that rhythm of day to day life and also that connection with um, with nature. Um, again, lots of the hospices I've seen have got uh, nice gardens and that's I think it's really a really important thing is it's just being able to see the birds, see the see the sun in the, mm. in the sky. Um, people find really helpful. Um, and for some people, it's work um, when people are still working and um, they've worked hard. Uh, obviously, if you've only got days, you wouldn't want to. But actually, it's part of your your legacy is is your work and doing that work well um, mm-hmm. and, and and giving it your and you're all so for some people it, it's um they still want to work um and they want to do that job well and and part of our job is to help them be able to achieve that and i can yeah. I can understand that because work is um is a good thing it's it's um it, you know it, it's it's not a it, yes in our, in our current fallen world there are there are hard and bad things about it but work is a good thing mm-hmm. um so so for some people trying to do that um, I think uh, patients with faith being able to spend time with others from their um, of like with others of their faith is really important as well, mm-hmm. and um, people being able to um, spend time with someone who can pray with them, um, who can read um, the Bible with them, um, to help them connect with God is because you have more time. You can you suddenly have time. In, in I say more time in some ways if you aren't able to do lots of busy stuff that like takes up takes up your time as in most of us do with life uh, actually you, you have that moat opportunities to pause and, and spend time with God thank you as you know at the end of many of the conversations that we we have here we inch towards your question about human flourishing what does it mean for a human being to do well to be well um, and I'd love for you to share some of your reflections on what you think the relationship between physical health um, and that human flourishing is. If you get a life-limiting diagnosis or an illness that is life-limiting, um, how do you still see a possibility for human flourishing even if, if physical health is, is no longer there? Um, are they connected? Are they loose? How, how do they come together? And I'm not expecting a fully worked out answer, but I'd love to hear some of your, your reflections on that. So I think the uh, instant reaction people would have is if they are dying, if they're going to die of an illness, then that's it. Um, then there is no more flourishing to be had. There's no there's no goodness that's going to come out of this um, from this point. I think some of that um, can drive uh, the desire for assisted dying of thinking that there is only badness now, there is only pain, there is only suffering. Um, nothing good can come out of this. So let's let's stop the stop the bad. Um, actually, I think the challenge to that is that there are opportunities when people are dying. Um, opportunities that you don't have when you're not dying, when the mind is not focused by the fact that you are now your 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 time is limited and i think um we've already talked about um actually human connection is a huge one and um we see people prioritizing um time with loved ones um and we see um uh, conflicts resolved um because it doesn't matter anymore it doesn't matter and actually coming together um 
uh, I had um, a patient recently who had lost contact with his brother and his brother spent two weeks with him in his room wasn't always easy I could see that there was that they they annoyed each other a bit sometimes and also I think it's quite hard if you haven't got that good background of history to then suddenly be thrust into the situation but you know what they did and they were there for each other um it's an opportunity to reflect and look back because I think we are always looking forward we're always looking for that the next opportunity or the next thing we need to do or what's you know and actually that slowing down you can look back on on what you have achieved and that's not always easy sometimes you look back and have regrets and um certainly in palliative care we we make space for those conversations those those times to kind of think through those regrets um maybe those missed opportunities um i think another big thing is is that op- that kind of the circle of going back to being cared for you know when we first come into the world we are cared for as babies and our parents look after us and we are completely reliant on them and we get more and more independent as we get older and I think sometimes like to think we're independent but we're not we're part of a big community um and as we come to the end we have to accept that care and that can be really hard you have people who are like heads of families who they've looked after their children and their grandchildren and now suddenly they need caring for and that can feel really difficult but I think also um a lady said to me recently that she was spoiled um was the word was the word she used and I didn't know I was like what do you mean you're spoiled and then she said I've got so many people who are prepared to love me um, and I think she didn't just mean her family because actually her family was really small, but just the simple act of working with people at the end of their mm. life that, you know, the nurses do an incredible job of giving people dignity and and love um, and care. And there's something really affirming to know that that kind of goodness of, of human spirit. Um, and you said then about the link between physical health and flourishing they are intrinsically linked uh, and interestingly I've said as our physical bodies failing there are real opportunities for our um, mind and spirit to flourish to to um, be at peace knowing God's plan to be able to spend time um, with God to be able to spend time with family um, to be able to really focus on things you enjoy um, also conversely and part of my job in in the kind of palliative team is you know if you're in we have a concept called total pain in palliative care and that's where your pain is not just a physical thing it's a spiritual psychological social thing if you are um the same kind of I don't know broken bone for someone who has got family looking after them um who are physically able to sort of make them a cup of tea who can show love to them who also knows that their job say is going to give them sick pay whilst they're not at work so they know they're safe from that point of view who maybe has a faith and has a general kind of overall sense of peace with the bigger picture um it would be very different for someone who say has no social support who doesn't have any um sick pay if they're not at work so they need to really be at work um who perhaps can't access their pain medications because no one's there to help them get it you know two broken bones but completely different senses of pain um and that so it's, it's a phrase i use probably daily that our minds and our bodies and our souls are not disconnected we are intrinsically connected and one impacts the other mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your reflections. Thank you so much for your time uh, and your commitment to your patients. It's really encouraging um, to see um, that our loved ones, when we and ourselves, when we do come to that point, that we might need a specialist um, like you, um, that people like you are there. Um, thank you for being with us um, and for sharing your wisdom. And um, we look forward to hearing more from you um, in the future. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this session of the Quo Vadis Institute's podcast, Rethink. And I trust you have been inspired and encouraged to do just that, Rethink.